The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Father, thank you for this treasure that we have in your word. Though the world changes, even um, thinking about this morning that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And we thank you for it being constant, always true and reliable. Lord, that we can look to your word and we can receive instruction, we can gain wisdom, we can be corrected, we can be exhorted, we can be encouraged by your word. And I pray that as we continue in our study of, of Mark chapter 13, which really is in, in many ways a difficult chapter, but that you would help make it clear for us, that we would grow in our understanding of it and know how to apply it to our lives, that we might live lives that are even more pleasing to you, that you would be glorified through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And so, Lord, as we commit this time to you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us, that you would cultivate the soil of our hearts so that we could receive your word as good seed planted, that it would bear fruit in our lives. And so work and have your way in this time, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read our passage, Mark chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 28 this morning. So Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves... You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And that is the reading of God's word and our text for this morning. Well, as I've been working through Mark chapter 13 and, and preparing for, uh, for this passage and, and these paragraphs this morning, uh, it's, it's been 
leading me to think quite a bit about about the end of things, the end, and not just the end of time, though it does lead me to to give consideration to that, but but about finishing as well. And so, uh, if you know much about me, you know that I'm a I'm a fan of sports, and I especially enjoy endurance sports or ultra endurance sports. So trail running and mountain biking, alpine touring, those are all interests of mine. Uh, extra innings baseball, right, where it goes into overtime. So endurance sports, 10 plus innings of baseball. Some, some think that would be a great endurance. Um, and I, I've enjoyed and, and I still enjoy to varied extents participating in these, in these different activities, these different events. And I want to start this morning just by probably giving everybody a good laugh at, uh, at some embarrassing moments for myself. Um, Natalie was recently going through some boxes and she came across a picture that brought uh, a memory to mind for me. And so I have the, uh, the picture here, I'll hold it up for everybody to see. And this, if you can see that, that is a 10-year-old Ben Bronson. I don't know if the light's great, but that is Ben Bronson in a blue and hot pink uh, Little League uniform uh, playing for Bobbio's Pizza in the Central Point Little League. That was my, my 10-year-old year. And uh, I don't know if you caught it, but yes, this is an autographed copy of my Bobbio's Pizza baseball card. So uh, it's the genuine article. And so this year playing baseball, one of, one of my memories was on a Saturday morning that I had gone to the Little League fields on my bike. Uh, had a game that day, so I was dressed in, in my uniform with the, the, the light blue and the hot pink uh, Bobbio's pizza colors, and I pedaled my bike down to the Little League field, and I arrived a bit early before the game was, was uh, scheduled to start, so I had some time to practice my bike skills, or to try to maybe show off my bike skills, or as I learned, the lack thereof. At the entrance, uh, there were two posts on either side of one of the entrances, and a chain that was strung between them, and so I thought, I'm going to bunny hop my bike over this chain and it's going to look great. Everybody will see. And so I attempted to do that. But on this day, my enthusiasm uh, far outpaced my ability. I got the front wheel up over the chain and then didn't clear the back wheel. So I got hung up in this chain and fell. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, what I was also jumping, not only the chain, but the big mud puddle that was under the chain. And so when I fell, I didn't just fall and humiliate myself, but I stood up in even greater humility with my baby blue and hot pink uniform now covered in mud before the game even started. Uh, that was a time that was very embarrassing for me. Uh, I still played the game, 
and probably by you know the third inning of our game everybody looked like me anyways because we were out there rolling in the dirt but it was embarrassing another embarrassing sports moment is in my adulthood i had registered for a 5k race a five kilometer race so just over three miles and this was in drake park which is right in downtown bend if you're familiar with that town at all and it was organized as a fundraiser for a high school cross-country team and so uh showed up there to the race and it was a it was a pretty well attended race as many, most races in uh in bend are and as start time approached i figured i would go visit the the line of outhouses one last time before the race started while i was in the outhouse i heard a gunshot and that gunshot was to signal the start of the race. So I came out of the outhouse quickly, and right next to me was another outhouse, which one of my friends was coming out of at the very same moment. And we looked at each other and realized that we missed the start of the race because we were in the outhouse. And so all of the racers at this point are far down the field. We're running, trying to catch up, stripping off our, our warm-up clothes to get down to our, our race clothes. And eventually, we were able to, to join up with the rest of the race, but really, by the time I caught up with the race, I was pretty well uh, worn out from the spike in heart rate and adrenaline, and then that quickly fading off. Uh, to this day, now, my friend and I, we can still look at each other, and without even saying a word, we can just give each other a little smirk and we go right back to that moment. We remember uh, how embarrassing that was on that day. So I share these stories because uh, even though both of those led to a horrible start, I started my baseball game covered in mud, I started the race in the outhouse and far behind the other runners, um, I did finish. I did finish the 5K race. I did play through all of that baseball game. And so even though I might have been embarrassed, I, I wasn't what I would say ashamed. I, I wasn't ashamed. I didn't give up. I didn't walk away, but I kept at it until the end. And here, as we, as we come to Mark chapter 13, there's a lot of focus on the end. This final section in Mark chapter 13 this morning, we're continuing to look at Jesus giving instruction to his disciples about events that were coming. And his encouragement, his, his exhortation to them, even about these radical events that were going to take place, is that they would not give up that they would not give in, that they would stay awake, that they would stay alert all the way until the end, all the way until these events were fully realized, fully accomplished. Now, some of these events were in the nearer future, that is 70 AD, with the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, and some of these events were further off into the future. But still, the admonition is the same. Stay awake, stay alert, 
be faithful all the way to the end. So as we come to Mark chapter 13, we see in this passage we're studying this morning two lessons, two, two picture lessons, two mini parables, as it were. One about a fig tree, and the other is about a man going on a journey and leaving his servants in charge at his home. Now, these two parables or these two comparisons are helping illustrate the truths that Jesus has spoken up to this point. And so at this point, I think it's, it's helpful for us to do a quick flyover again of Mark chapter 13 to understand the timing of these events that Jesus has taught his disciples about. If you remember, as they were coming out of Jerusalem, one of the disciples was amazed about the beauty and the mass of these buildings. What uh, wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus says in verse 2, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so the disciples have questions, and as they go to the Mount of Olives, the four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, come to Jesus, and they have two questions. Two questions about the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple. And so in verse 4, they ask, tell us, first question, when will these things be? And second question, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And so they're asking about the fall of Jerusalem. They're asking about the destruction of the temple that Jesus said would come about. And in verses 5 through 23, Jesus is answering that question about the destruction of the temple. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are to be accomplished? And so he's answering that question, or those two questions about that one thing in verses 5 through 23. And then in verse 24, he shifts his focus, and he begins instructing his disciples even beyond their question something that is not at all uncommon for Jesus to do, even to go beyond the question of the person asking. And in their minds, for the disciples, the destruction of the temple, that would probably, in their mind, coincide with the end of the world, the destruction of the temple. It's going to be destroyed. Well, that must signal the very end of the world. But that wasn't the case. Everything from verses 5 through 23, was accomplished by the year 70 AD, but that wasn't the end. And so Jesus jumps further ahead in time, and he tells them about his return, beginning in verse 24. It would take place, verse 24 says, after that tribulation. In those days, after that tribulation, so after the destruction of the temple, so his return would be a great cosmic event. He talks about the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
So Jesus coming in the clouds, a visible return, and we would be seeing him come. His elect would be gathered from every corner of the earth. And this is an event that we're still waiting on to be accomplished, the return of Jesus. And so we have these two different time frames. The first are those events leading up to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. And then Jesus looked ahead to the end, which was the visible return of himself, the visible return of Jesus. And so now Jesus is going to give two illustrations or two parables about these two different time frames. So first we have the parable of the fig tree. And the parable of the fig tree is looking back again to those events from verses 5 through 23. And then the parable about the master of the house departing in verses 32 through 37, in that we have Jesus looking ahead now to his return. So these two parables dealing with these two different time frames. So the first is using a fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson, verse 28. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, the fig tree would lose its leaves every winter, and then as the weather would warm, it would begin pushing out this new foliage. And similar to what we see here in the Hood River Valley, each spring blossoms start on trees, and we know we are into the growing season. I don't think that here Jesus is trying to use the fig tree to speak about the nation of Israel. I don't think that he's making that connection. I think he's just looking there as they're on the Mount of Olives and pointing to a fig tree, which would have been right there and saying, it's like this. It's like this fig tree that when it starts to push out leaves, you know that summer is near. And so he says in verse 29 then, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. Just as the leaves on the fig tree are going to signal the beginning of the summer, so also these things taking place would be a signal. Do you remember from our first week in Mark chapter 13? These things, tauta, the Greek word we talked about, these things. That was the question of the disciples, right? Look again in verse 4. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And so Jesus says in verse 29, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. False Christ's Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, the preaching of the gospel to all nations, the abomination of desolation, all of these things were accomplished before the year 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. So these things are to signal, like leaves on the fig tree, they signal that something is about to happen. 
So what is it that it is about to happen? Well, we read in verse 29, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Our ESV reads, he is near at the very gates. Now, I know within our church body, there are some other translations that other families use. The King James reads, it is near, when it is near. So also the New International Version also reads, when it is near. Uh, there is a commentator that I think put this better than I can put it. So I'm just going to read from what this commentator wrote about this he or it. Is it a he or is it an it? And this commentator writes, the phrase means he or she or it is near. Leaving the identification of the he, she, or it to be determined by the context. And here the context leaves little room for doubt. The disciples had asked when the temple would be destroyed and how they would know the time. And Jesus' reply, with the focus shifting emphatically back to the disciples again, now homes in directly on the latter part of their question. This is how you will know that it, that is referring to the destruction of the temple, is near. You know that he is near. I would say this could easily be translated, and I think that the King James and the NIV even get it better by saying that it is near. The translators at this point had to make a choice. Is it it? Is it he? Is it she? The translators of the English Standard Version went with he. The translators of the King James and the New International Version went with it. And I think that that makes even more sense in verse 29. When you see these things taking place, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, all of these things, you know that it is near. That is the destruction of Jerusalem. It's at the very gates. And I think this even makes more sense as we continue into verse 30. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. There's that word again. These things, tauta. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If we were to understand this generation not passing away until Jesus returns, if we read verse 29 as he is near, as in as Jesus is near, his return is near, and this generation is not going to pass away until Jesus returns, we'd have a really difficult way of making sense of that. But the destruction of Jerusalem the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, when you see these things taking place, you know that the destruction of the temple is near. It is near at the very gates. And this generation, those that, that Jesus was speaking directly to, these four disciples that had the question, and to this generation of those disciples, this generation will not pass away 
until all these things take place. 70 AD, these things were accomplished. And so we see here Jesus using this lesson, this parable of the fig tree, reminding the disciples there will be signs leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. There will be things that you should be alert for and on the watch for. And then in verse 31, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now for the disciples, think about their understanding of what Jesus was telling them and and how disconcerting it would seem. Their life, really, the center of Jewish life was the temple. It's going to be destroyed? It's going to be torn down? Oh, what's, what's then at the center of our life any longer? What is it that we hold on to? It's going to be so terribly disrupted. But Jesus now here, he speaks these words of comfort, these words of constancy that we have in God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I don't know about you, but I count on the sun rising every day. I can count on the words of Jesus even more. I count every day that the sky is going to be over my head and the earth is going to be under my feet. Every day, those are are things that I count on. But you know what I can count on even more than that? I can count on the words of Jesus even more. My words will not pass away. The disciples' world was about to be shaken, about to be turned upside down. And so where would they turn? And even so, not just the disciples, but the first readers of this gospel, they would see great difficulty in their lives. And what is it that they were to hold on to? Church, isn't it always, hasn't it always been the words of our Lord that we should turn to, that we should get our direction from, that we should should base our decisions off of. It's to God's word that we should look to for words that are even more enduring than heaven and earth. God's words are eternal. Isaiah chapter 40 writes, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Later, also in Isaiah chapter 54, we have recorded, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. 
When God speaks, he means it. When he speaks, his words are true. When he speaks, his words are lasting and they are binding. And even as he goes into covenant with a sinful people, he says, I'm still going to accomplish my purposes. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, will not rebuke you. The mountains may depart, the hills might even be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed. This comes from the Lord who has compassion on you. What great words of, of comfort. What great words for the disciples of confidence that they would have hearing these words being spoken. The constancy that we have, the treasure we have in God's word. Well, then in verse 32, Jesus begins to speak about that day or that hour. He says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, the two time frames, the one, those events that were leading up to 70 AD, and the other time frame, looking at the return of the Son of Man. So the parable of the fig tree is about those events leading up to 70 A.D. and the fall of Jerusalem. Now as we look to verses 32 through 37, Jesus is using this parable, this comparison, to look at his return. Concerning that day or that hour, unlike the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which had these signs preceding it to indicate that it was coming soon, he says the coming of the Son of Man is known only by the Father. This is Jesus by saying that day or that hour, he is again looking ahead to his return. This is the time of, of those days after that tribulation that we read about in verse 24. So even Jesus, in, in his full humanity and in his volunteer humility, didn't know the day or the hour that the Father had determined, has determined for his return. But his instruction to his disciples, verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. There have been all kinds of attempts through the history of the church, uh, cults as well, to try to identify a, a year, a date, a time. It's going to be this year that Jesus returns. And Jesus says, be on guard and, and keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. And even as we've been looking through this chapter, as Jesus is talking about his return, the encouragement isn't to try to identify or predict when that is going to happen. No, all along the encouragement, the admonition has been faithfulness. 
faithfulness and endurance now as we wait for that day. You do not know when the time will come. Well, then, what are we to do if we don't know what's our responsibility? And Jesus uses this this picture, this illustration, this parable again in verse 34 to help his disciples understand this. Verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Jesus charged to the disciples and, and the, the purpose that Mark was recording this in his gospel for the recipients of his gospel, the reason that the Holy Spirit inspired these words to be spoken, to be recorded for us, and even preserved through the ages, is so that we would all be admonished to stay awake, to keep awake. A man goes on a journey, and he gives his servants work to do. I'm leaving. I'm going to come back at another time. I'm not going to tell you when that time will be. But while I'm gone, each one of you has work to do. You are responsible for this task. You are responsible for that task. You, doorkeeper, your responsibility is to stay awake, to keep guard at the door. This is the the one servant that we have specifically called out, mentioned, and identified, and their task explained. You see, the doorkeeper, they would be responsible for watching the door, being ready to open when the master returned, so that the master didn't return home and, and beat on the door and beat on the door and not be able to get in, to not be opening the door to everybody else, to not leave the door unattended and wide open. The doorkeeper was there and responsible for who was coming in, who was going out. And so it's imperative that the doorkeeper stay awake, remain alert, so he's ready when his master returns. And this is what Jesus says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will return. Now, in our church, we have many young children, and I was was thinking about this this week, and I think that families, we've probably experienced something similar to this that we can relate to. When our kids were younger, the concept of time wasn't, wasn't always there. It wasn't always grasped very well. And so we might say that grandpa and grandma are coming to visit this weekend. And it could be Monday, and they're expecting them any time. Are grandpa and grandma coming today? Is it today? Are we going to see them today? No, it's going to be this weekend. It's still 
five days or four days or, or three days out. And the concept of time just wasn't there, but the kids were waiting. They were expecting. Grandpa and Grandma are coming to visit. They would keep asking, is it now? Now? Are we going to see them? And then even times that we've had grandparents arrive late and we've put the kids to bed and we've said, you know, go to sleep. And grandpa and grandma, you'll see them in the morning. And grandparents arrive late well after the kids have been put in bed, given instruction to go to sleep. But they hear the arrival. Grandpa and grandma are here. And you hear their feet scurrying down the hall out of their bedrooms to come out and greet grandpa and grandma. They're so excited. They can't sleep. They've been awaiting this time that they get to spend with grandpa and grandma. So we also, church, we should be so anticipating the return of our Lord, the coming of our Savior, that we're listening, that we're staying awake, that we're alert. He's going to come back. And we may not have the, the right concept of, of time. Only the Father knows the day or the hour that it's going to happen. We certainly don't. But every moment, every day, it could be today. It could be today. Is it going to be today? Is, is he coming back? Is it now? And our lives should be influenced by that. Our lives should be affected by that. Our decisions should be influenced by this knowledge that Jesus will come back. And will he find us faithful when he returns? He says, and so what I say to you, I say to all, verse 37, stay awake. The worst thing that could happen is that the master of the house comes back and the doorkeeper who has been charged with watching the door and staying awake, that this doorkeeper is found asleep. So what I say to you, Jesus says to these four disciples, I say to all, which I think was all the disciples, and I think Mark recorded it in his gospel so that all of the readers of his gospel would receive it, and the Holy Spirit preserved it for us so that we would read these words and hear these words coming from the lips of Jesus. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Do you understand, church? This is the unfolding of the drama of redemption. This is the awaiting of the final scene where Jesus returns victorious, where Jesus comes back triumphant, where he comes back as a conquering king and all wrongs are made right. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This isn't like a dull movie that we start and we see the opening credits and, oh, it's not even worth finishing, and you just doze off and fall asleep. No, this is the redemption story. This is the salvation drama. 
the story of God's salvation that was started even in eternity past, and it's waiting to be fully accomplished when Christ returns. It's not time for sleeping. It's time for watching. It's time for staying alert, staying awake, not drowsiness, not inattention. Alert, awake, and vigilant, church. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'll read this to you. Paul says, Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The Thessalonian church, they needed to hear this from Paul, to stay awake, to stay alert, to be sober, to think with right thinking about the times that they lived in and what was coming. This hope that they had, this is a purifying hope. The hope of Jesus' return, John writes in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So as we hope in Jesus, as we look to that day, as we stay awake and alert for the return of Jesus, it should cause this purifying effect in our lives that we would purify ourselves even as Christ himself is pure, that we would ready ourselves for the return of Jesus, that he is perfect and pure, and as he returns, we want to be ready for him, that we want the Holy Spirit to have its sanctifying work in our lives, that we would be ridding ourselves of sin, that we would be casting off these old garments of sinfulness, and that we would be pursuing righteousness and holiness. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now hear this, waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, church, when we are saved, this is the grace of God that has appeared to us, and it brings salvation. We are brought from death to life, from darkness to light. The Holy Spirit of God comes inside of us. We are given new life. We are given new hearts. 
And now our desires change, no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. And we have these new desires that we want to serve God. And it trains us to, as Paul writes to Titus, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. This is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, waiting for this blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus Christ. This is a purifying hope for us. As we stay awake, as we stay alert, we continue to be vigilant and allow God's work as we do wait for this day of this purifying hope. And also, this is an invigorating hope. This is an invigorating hope. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is an invigorating hope that we look forward to that day, and with that day is going to come reward, this crown of righteousness that Christ, who is our righteous judge, is going to award on that day. And so we look forward to his appearing, to all who have loved his appearing. Oh, we so long for it. We look forward to it. This is going to be a day of such great rejoicing. The author of Hebrews also talks about how this is an invigorating hope in chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The eager waiting. I know he's going to come. I don't know exactly the day or the hour. I don't know the time, but I know he's going to come. Like my kids, I know grandpa and grandma are going to come, and I can hardly sleep because I'm so excited. It was invigorating for them. And so also, as we look forward to and anticipate the return of our Lord, it's exciting. It's invigorating that we look forward to this day, and so we eagerly wait for him. Church, our starts may not have been glorious. Our starts may not have been glorious. The beginning of your Christian life may have started in a mud puddle or coming out of an outhouse, but your end is sure. It's promised. It's going to be glorious. And your work today is to stay awake to remain engaged and to remain involved all the way to the very end, to look with eager expectation to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 
chapter 16, verse 22, Maranatha, that is, our Lord, come, Maranatha. And as John concluded his writing in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me again? Father, there are things that we don't know. There are things that we can't know. But yet there are things that you have revealed to us. We know what you are like because you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We know that you are a God who is righteous and holy, that you are pure and so high above, so far above our lowly and sinful ways, that you are separate from sin, that you are perfect and pure. Yet, Lord, we also know that you have shown great love toward us, that even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us, that he came to reconcile us to you, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that saving work has been accomplished in our lives. And so we know that we have a future with you. You have revealed this to us in your word. And Father, as we have worked our way through Mark chapter 13, the thing that, that I come away with, and I pray it's the thing that we all would come away with, is this faithful endurance to the end, to continue to stay alert and awake, not to try to predict when exactly that time will come, but to live each day as if it would be today. And so purify ourselves and so have a sanctifying effect on this world that we live in, that we would live for eternity, that we would live for that time which is to come, that we would look at our neighbors differently Lord, that we would see people around us as eternal souls, those that are in need of salvation by the only means of salvation, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And so encourage us in our evangelism and sanctify us in our lives that we might live more and more for you and less and less for ourselves or even for trying to please man, that our sole aim and purpose would be looking for the return of our master, and so we would stay awake. We thank you for this hope that we have of eternity, and we look forward to your return, Lord Jesus, and so even we pray along with the early church, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.